Hi, this is Greg Kilstrom. Welcome to the Agile World Podcast, where we discuss customer experience, employee experience, and transformation in an agile age. The Agile World Podcast is brought to you by Tech Systems, an industry leader in full-stack technology services, talent services, and real-world application. For more information, go to techsystems.com. To read more about the topics discussed on this show, you can go to my website at theagile.world and read my latest articles or get a copy of my latest book, The Center of Experience, a blueprint for creating an experience-led organization, now available on Amazon and other retailers. My name is Greg Kilstrom, and I'm the CEO and co-founder of CareerGig and host of the Agile World Podcast. Today, we're going to talk about creating a sustainable workforce that can help your brand be successful, no matter what the business environment may throw your way. We're obviously living in tumultuous times and cannot control all aspects of our business, but the right strategic approach to building a culture and talent pool can make a huge difference in how you weather any storm. To help me discuss this topic, I'd like to welcome Roberta Matchison, a best-selling author, Forbes contributor, and marketing leader who has worked with General Motors, New Balance, the Boston Beer Company, and more. Roberta, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks so much, Greg, for having me. Absolutely. Well, uh, as a fellow author, I wanted to first commend you on having five books uh, with a sixth on the way. Um, That's certainly uh, no easy feat. Um, So why don't you tell us a little bit about your latest book, Evergreen Talent, um, and how you think it's relevant to the current work environment? Well, um, Evergreen Talent is all about how to seed, grow, and cultivate a sustainable workforce. Uh, The book released in February, uh, just in time for the pandemic. And uh, my first reaction to that after, you know, I was worried about my family's safety was, oh, my gosh, we're releasing in the middle of the pandemic. Um, But I'm happy to say that it seems like, you know, we're into this now when you and I are talking. It's five months. um, And it feels like companies are once again paying attention to their talent, which is actually a really good thing. Um, I was talking last week to a friend who's a CIO, and she said to me, you would not believe how many calls and emails I have gotten in the last few weeks asking me to consider new job opportunities. And she's, you know, happily employed. And she just got to the point where she said, I just can't stop not responding because the money is incredible. So Um, If your listeners are out there thinking, oh, you know, there's so many job losses right now and no one is hiring and how how does this relate to me? I'm telling you, hiring is going on and it's going on 24-7. And so you need to make sure that, you know, you're keeping the people that you have on board happy and challenged and that if you are looking for talent, that you keep your foot on the accelerator. Well, that's that's great to hear, and great to know that there are some you know some opportunities still out there, even you know despite the challenging times. Um, what advice do you have to to build a sustainable workforce during such challenging times? So you know, and, and what I mean by that is just you know with all the fluctuations, it's how do you keep things flexible enough, and and yet to your point, when when you need talent, um, you need to be able to focus on that. Well, I think it's interesting, you know, I've been through, you know, financial challenging times before. And so I've personally been on the other side of the fence when, you know, everything just literally tanked. 
Um, I was living in Houston and the oil industry just went like bottomed out and overnight jobs were lost. And I was one of those people. And at the time, I, I couldn't understand, like, why was I being laid off? Why was my employer letting me go? And they were keeping the more expensive, more seasoned talent. And it wasn't until my colleague said to me, you know, I can do your job and my job. And that's why they're keeping me. You can't do my job. You don't have enough experience. And so as your listeners are going through this, you know, process and reevaluating their talent, and many of them, I'm sure, are making tough decisions regarding whether or not they're going to need to reduce their workforce, even though it happened to me, you know, my advice is, you know, hang on to your experienced talent. They may cost a little bit more, but you don't have to train them. Um, they can probably do their job and the job below them. They have the skills and um, we will come out of this and you will want your strongest players on board. Yeah, no, that's, that's great advice. Um, is there anything you can share about, uh, you've got a six book uh, coming up. Is there anything you can share about that to pique our listeners' interest? Uh, yeah, it's called The Conversation Equation and it's about challenging conversations at work. And the book will be a guide to not only, you know, for leaders on how to handle those challenging conversations, but it will also be for those on the other side of that equation, the person, you know, whose boss says we need to talk, um, how you can handle those conversations and turn them around to your advantage. That's great. That's great. Yeah, I can imagine, I, despite whatever might be going on in the world, there's always people that uh, deserve title changes or salary increases or responsibility changes or, or, or things like that. So yeah, that's that, that sounds really interesting. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And um, before we started, you and I were chatting and I mentioned that I just um, interviewed Christina Cook, um, who's the astronaut that holds the record for the longest uh, time in space for a woman. And um, she and I were talking about leadership. And, um, you know, I asked her the question, you know, you're up in space, right? And so you get there and you're the new girl on the block, literally. And yet you're now in charge. And so, you know, what are some of the more challenging conversations that you had? And uh, it was just pretty interesting how many of the conversations we have here on planet Earth are the same conversations that they're having out at the space station and the yeah, same yeah. challenges. Wow. Yeah, no, that's, uh, that's, that's, that sounds like a fascinating conversation. Um, oh, it, yeah, it was. <laughs> awesome. Uh, so uh, switch gears a little bit here. Um, as a strategic advisor on talent to some of the world's top brands, you have a lot of access to um, best practices out there. What advice we're, as you said, we're five months into the, the pandemic here. What advice would you have for an organization to help them navigate the months ahead? Uh, what's the best way for them to manage in an unpredictable environment? You know, should things go continue to get better, can get worse and then better? You know, what's how, how do they navigate this uncertainty? Well, I think you have to have a plan A, B and C, right? You know, the plan A is things get better. The plan B um things get worse and plan C, things stay the same. Um, I like to be optimistic and look at the plan A because if it is plan A, that means that you have a tremendous opportunity 
to move forward while your competitors are all looking at their plan C, right? Because yeah. <laughs> they're not as optimistic as you are. And in our situation that we're in, that means really taking the time now while you have it um, to look at things like your employment brand, um, to look at uh, you know how others are viewing you in the marketplace, looking at your hiring processes and, and asking yourself, you know, does this make sense anymore and how can we be more efficient and how can we hire people that we may never meet? Um, you know, I do that with my clients in a one day, um, you know, strategy session and the results are amazing. And a lot of people think like it would take you months to develop this strategy. But, you know, when you're laser focused, you can get a lot done. And so I would tell your listeners to really you know, focus on moving one or two things forward a mile, you know, rather than those 10 things forward an inch. Yeah, that's really interesting. And I, I've heard this from a few different people in a few different ways as far as uh, there's, it's not even necessarily that there's downtime, but there are, I talked to somebody from a museum where they took a completely different approach to virtual exhibits. I talked to a chef who had time to actually think through like a completely different way of, uh, you know, different dishes to cook and, and all those types of things. So, and, and what you're saying falls in line with that is there is definitely, uh, there's definitely a crisis and there is crisis messaging and communication and all that, but there's also potential opportunity to, um, to work on things that have maybe slipped uh, slipped aside and, and stuff. How would you, I know you touched on this just now, but how, how would you recommend that someone finds the time to do that? Is it, is it a matter of delegating certain things to certain people or like how, how would they start? I guess. Well, I think you have to start first by asking yourself, is this really a priority? Um, so, you know, I'll use myself as an example you know, I've been talking about redoing my website for probably three years, you know, yeah, and yeah. just before the pandemic, I made the decision, you know what, this is the time and I'm going to do it. And in the midst of the pandemic, it was just even more clear to me that I needed to make sure that I was more clear in my messaging and I had more time to devote to that. And so I said to myself, this is a priority. Um, I had a very similar conversation with a um, client of mine, and we have talked many, many times about his employer brand, and it does not represent at all the quality organization that he runs. And, you know, in spite of my, you know, best, best wishes for him, I just finally had to say to him, you know, I gave him a proposal. He didn't. He wasn't doing anything with it. And I just said, listen, you're not ready. You're not made. You're not going to make yeah. this commitment. So, you know, if it's important to you, you will make it a priority. You will make the commitment. If you're finding that you're just like you keep putting something at the bottom of the list, then it's really not important. So just take it off the list. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's that's great. And, and if well, you take it off the list, Greg, just be prepared to keep paying, you know, 30% to, you know, your local um, recruiter, your recruitment firm that you're working right. with, right? So you right. can't complain like you're paying all this money in recruitment fees, yet had you just stopped and invested half of that money, even a third in getting this done and getting it done right, you'd be able to attract talent towards you. Yeah, yeah, totally agree. 
Well, uh, one one other topic here. Uh, a lot of what I'm focused on right now with my current venture career gig uh, relates to the 1099 workforce and, and freelancers. What do you see organizations doing in relation to hiring these 1099s and freelancers? Uh, and do you see that changing in the months ahead? Well, I think if anything, it's going to increase, right? Because a lot of people have panicked and they have let people go because they have to show their shareholders that they're you know, getting the organization in shape and that they're going to ride this out. So they're, they're throwing the baggage off the boat as they go. But at some point, all of a sudden a call comes in from a client that says, Hey, we want you to do this. And the person who does this is no longer there. Um, I think we're going to see a dramatic increase in the number of gig workers. Do you think that, uh, I mean, I lived through the 2008, 2009 crisis and where I saw really the creation of the gig economy and there were always freelancers and, and 1099 contractors, obviously, but, um, I, you know, we saw the, the creation of Uber and Lyft and Instacart and, and all those things as well as just a, a bigger freelance workforce. Do you see this, uh, accelerating? Do you see the, the COVID pandemic accelerating this or, is this kind of the new normal of a more hybrid workforce or where, where do you see this kind of shaking out, I guess, in 12 months or so? Well, I think it depends on what your what what business you're in. So, for example, um, you know, if you're an Uber or Lyft, um, you're in trouble, right? Because yeah. people aren't using their apps. I can't remember the last time I called for for an Uber or a Lyft. And I used to do that, you know, weekly. Um yeah. On the other hand, you know, I walked into Wegmans one morning and all of a sudden, you know, I think it was nine o'clock and the place got super, super crowded. And I was like, what the heck? And the store manager looked at me and I looked at him and and he said, oh, those are the Instacart shoppers. We left them in at nine o'clock. And there were like 10 times as many of them as there were customers like me shopping. And I was like, holy moly. So I think, you know, we're going to still see growth in those areas. Um, so it really depends on, you know, what market you're filling. Yeah, yeah, no, that makes sense. Well, let's talk about company culture a little bit, and especially as it relates to attracting and retaining talent. How do you recommend that organizations hire in order to have the type of culture they want? Well, I think they have to backtrack and decide first and foremost what kind of culture they want and not vice versa. So once you get really clear on what kind of organization you want to be, then you look at the traits of the people that would fit into that culture, and then you can um, hire based on those traits. So what I find happens in many organizations, they don't do that, and they just start hiring, and then they get like these mismatched people, and then they're trying to create this culture, and some people you know, are there because they love the startup culture but they're not really interested in the long term yet they're there and they start to whine and and it just creates a lot of havoc. So I think it's really important, you know, in the beginning to put your stake in the ground and say, this is who we are and then go from there. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. What about when you need to make a shift um, in culture? So, you know, let's say leadership identifies that, um, you know, that, you use this the startup example of um, you know there there's certain qualities that a startup needs that uh, 
like being really creative and innovative and, and team focused and on all that stuff. And the more seasoned organization may need a little more process and, and sales driven and, and stuff like that. How, how does an organization identify when a shift needs to happen? And then maybe talk a little bit about how you might get started in, in making a shift. Well, I think you'll know when a shift needs to happen, when you sense like you're moving from one phase. It's sort of like, you know, with kids, right? You know, you see a shift happening when they start to walk, right? And they become a toddler. And then you see another shift when they start school. And then when they hit puberty, like you see these shifts, you feel these shifts. And so it's the same in the organization. They go through different phases and you know, you go through your startup phase and you've got your, you know, seed money and then the venture people come in and then maybe the CEO steps out and they bring in a seasoned CEO and then that changes. And so the organization is in a constant state of change and you have to adapt and, and, you know, adjust for that. Yeah. Have you found a good way to, to measure for that? Or like, what is your, when you, when you come into an organization, how do you, how do you get a handle on, on where the culture is? All I have to do, and these are back in the days when you could do that, <clears throat> is walk in, walk yeah. in and look around. And, you know, I had an experience where I walked into a prospect to meet with the CEO and it was a company that was filled with a lot of young people. And I was absolutely taken back by the silence. And these people were, you know, in, you know, cubicles. And I went into the uh, lunch area to get just a glass of water. And people were in there, but no one was talking. There was no laughter. And I just looked around and I was like, I thought I was on another planet. This is not typical of a, a, of a young company with lots of energy. And when I sat down with that CEO, it took me two seconds to figure out why that was the case. <laughs> and I'll wow. tell you, I couldn't get out of there fast enough. I was like, I am not going to be able to help these people. This is not going to happen. And, and I wanted to take half the staff with me. Like, I can save you. Come. <laughs> So you can tell a lot just by walking in and listening and observing. That's great. Yeah. And I'm sure you've seen quite a, quite a range of, of different types of atmospheres and everything like that in your, in your career. Absolutely. So uh, one last question before we wrap up Um, as the author of of five and and soon to be six books and active contributor to uh, to Forbes and other uh, publications, can you talk a little bit about your writing process and you know how do you find the time to research and write thoughtful pieces while also doing your your consulting work? Uh, and do they help one another as far as you know one inspiring the other and and, and all that? Well, I think it's an interesting question because um, I say this all the time to people: like you cannot make this stuff up. And so I write about what I see and observe and what people share with me. And there are so many stories out there. So I don't do a lot of research because that's my writing is anecdotal. Um, I leave that research up to the professors at, you know, Harvard and Yale and those and Penn and those people. But I write the way I speak and people seem to enjoy that because I tell them like it is. And I don't worry about filtering anything because, you know, I don't have a boss. 
I don't really care if I've offended, you know, someone because I'm not going to get fired. Like, right, right. So it's very freeing. And when you write that way, it allows you to write very quickly. That's great. That's great. I love, love to hear that. Well, Roberta, thanks so much for joining the show. And for those listening, uh, what's the best way for them to keep up with what you're doing? Uh, they can go to my website, which is Matchison, M-A-T-U-S-O-N, consulting.com. They can follow me on Twitter at Matchison, or they can send me a request to connect on LinkedIn. And uh, Greg, if they mention that they heard me uh, talk on your show, uh, that will guarantee that I will accept their request rather than just throwing out a request. And I'm like, who is this person? So um, it would be my pleasure to connect. Wonderful. No, I appreciate that. Thank you. No, that's that's great. Great to hear. Well, again, I'd like to thank Roberta Matchison, president of Matchison Consulting, for joining the show. To learn more about customer and employee experience, I recommend you go to my website at gregkilstrom.com and make sure to check out my latest book, The Center of Experience. More information is available on my website or wherever the book is available, like Amazon. Thanks for listening to The Agile World with Greg Kilstrom. See you next week. Thanks again for listening to The Agile World podcast brought to you by Tech Systems. I'm your host, Greg Kilstrom. You can learn more and get a copy of my latest book, The Center of Experience, from my website at theagile.world or on Amazon or other retailers. Until next week, stay agile. Whether you are looking for a space to host an intimate gathering or a major celebration, the Westmoreland Museum of American Art offers an artful venue for creating a truly amazing and unforgettable event experience. Don't miss the Bridal and Event Showcase at the museum this Sunday, May 21st from 6 to 9 p.m. Meet a variety of vendors, including florists, caterers, bakeries, jewelers, entertainers, and more. To register for this free event, visit thewestmoreland.org.